Welcome to the Consulting Lifestyle Podcast. I am your host, Diogen Tirandekura. On this show, you will discover the realities, the successes and the struggles of business management and information technology consultants in the fast-moving B2B world. So stay tuned if you want to know more about what it takes to have a consulting lifestyle. My guest today is a woman that has an amazing and inspiring story. Denise Sarkor is today a business development executive at IBM in the United States of America. She is also a personal life and business coach for New Roots Living, an organization that she created herself. Denise is born in Liberia in Western Africa and she had to leave the country at an early age. She describes herself as a global citizen and really stay tuned in the episode because you will understand why. We will go deep into personal and professional subjects during this amazing conversation. Hello, Denise Sarkor. How are you? Doing well, Virginie. Happy to be here. Yeah, thanks. Uh, thanks very much to, uh, to come on the podcast um, I think we can uh, we will go through a lot of interesting uh, subjects um, related to both your uh, personal and uh, professional lives. Um, and uh, I would like first for the audience, uh, I would like you to start with uh, presenting yourself a little bit. So who was and who is uh, Denise Sarkor? <laughs> well, uh, thank you so much for this invitation. I'm, I'm happy to be here and share a little bit about my story. So my name is Denise Sarkor. I was born in Monrovia, Liberia in the 80s. And um, for those who follow African history, you would know uh, that around that time, a civil war emerged um, in the mid 80s, uh, really causing my family to have to leave Liberia, um, live as refugees in Ivory Coast for a while, and then eventually move to uh, the Eastern United States. Um, I was raised in New Jersey. Uh, a very focused child, and so um, always heads down in my books. And I ended up uh, through a great program called New Jersey Seeds, getting supplemental education, studying on the weekends, and eventually getting a full scholarship to a top New Jersey high school, mm -hmm. uh, which then gave me an amazing opportunity uh, to earn full scholarships to college. Um, I got my degree in um, economics from the Wharton School, uh, the undergraduate program there. And uh, after Wharton and several internships in banking um, throughout my college degree, uh, college career, I ended up uh, working on Wall Street around 2008. So I, I like to tell folks, Diogene, oh, wow. that my, yeah, so my, <laughs> yeah, you, you already know where this is going. I, I've had an incredible story and path in the sense that, you know, I kind of came into the world in a, a war spot was an impetus for change in my life. Mm -hmm. uh, and then uh, my first job out of college was at the former Bear Stearns. Um, wow. And I was underwriting municipal bonds there. I had an amazing experience with colleagues there. Uh, but as you know, that was one of the banks in America that uh, actually, uh, you know, went under in, in 2008, along with Lehman Brothers. And so at that time, you know, my, my entire department got laid off. And for me, 
you know, I think it's in moments of crisis that we learn some of the greatest life lessons. Exactly. Um, yeah. It was very interesting, um, although very difficult to watch how that impacted the lives of my colleagues and peers. Mm-hmm. Um, but I will say I got to see how the financial markets react to things like, uh, you know, it, you know, external uh, economic factors or biz- different business models at that time and looking at the mortgage crisis and looking how we are basically all connected. Um, that mm-hmm. taught me many things. Um, I used that moment of, you know, just my entire department literally uh, being laid off to find my next opportunity. Um, and that's when I went to work for the World Bank um, at the International Finance Corporation uh, through a really awesome prof- uh, Wharton professor of mine. She uh, let me know of the opportunity there. And I left a failed bank to work on global, uh, basically the global financial crisis. Uh, I I went uh, and started helping um, uh, with a a bank crisis response initiative at the World Bank, which was really great. Um, And so that that was really the the start of my career. Uh, A lot of those things have shaped my identity as a global citizen. And Mm -hmm. yeah, I'll stop there. Wow. So we can we 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 can we can hear in your um, in your curriculum in your background that you have always been working extra, if I can say it like that. So during your teenage years, you were doing uh, weekend weekend studies so that you you could get a scholarship. Then while you were in a, a great college, so at Wharton, if I if I'm not wrong, you were doing internships with uh, financial institutions and banks, and uh, wow. then you then you work there, and then you have that. How can I say that? That uh, um, break. It can be a breakthrough, but it's also a, a crisis uh, in which uh, either you already knew it, or maybe you realize, okay, you know what? I'm a global citizen. I really want to help um, on a global scale, and that's when you 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 could work with uh, the IFC, and and that resilience and that uh, um, how can I say that propension to to work extra to do more uh, for for yourself and for uh, and for others continued afterwards, yeah. uh, right? So because you 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 have so from what from what I have seen, uh, you have worked in the in in the, in the financial industry, but today you are in uh, information technology consulting. Uh, you are uh, involved with uh, the SAP um, the ERP uh, SAP, which is also. Uh, well, the one with whom I'm, uh, with which I'm involved at the moment. So, how did you transition from uh, the financial industry, uh, working in an international context, to uh, the information technology industry? That's a that's a great question. Um, and when I reflect on it, I transitioned going with the flow, right? And mm-hmm. in terms of recognizing opportunities. So for example, while at the World Bank, I had an amazing career, um, but at the World Bank, there was a point where I wanted to be promoted. And a lot of the roles uh, right above me required that either you had a master's degree of some sorts or a PhD. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I'm a forever student. So uh, I thought, okay, this is a wonderful opportunity. I applied to graduate programs. I was accepted into a couple and I chose to go to um, the School of International and Public Affairs at Columbia University. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And that's where I studied international finance and, um, and economics and um, economic policy. Uh, so that was a great two-year break because sometimes, as you may be aware, Diogene, like we'll, we'll keep going and keep working and not give ourselves time to reflect. Mm-hmm. Well, it was during that program that my thesis changed about how development really occurs in the world. Uh, it went from this belief that, you know, top, it, it had to happen top down from these larger institutions to a fundamental belief that change starts at the individual level. And so I became fascinated with this idea of entrepreneurship. And as I read more books, I learned about the concept of entrepreneurship. And I thought, okay, well, what are these things and um, how can, can I transform into someone who is extremely resourceful, creative, able to build? And if you're able to build a business, then you're able to create jobs. Um, you know, there's so many more things that w- are within your power rather than solely relying on governments or solely relying on larger um, development institutions. Mm-hmm. And, and I, you know, while I was in graduate school, I even wrote a paper. I had a, a course with the former understand, secretary of, of Kofi Annan. And I wrote this paper entitled On Human Development mm-hmm. uh, because I became fascinated with how you develop people, the people who then develop the, the nation or the state that develop the companies and, and, all, and so on and so forth. Um, and so, uh, you know, transitioning happened really after graduate school. I took a role at an industrial supply chain company in Georgia and as an operations supervisor and manager. And for the first time, I had a team of people reporting to me, about 20 people um, in an Amazon-esque environment. We were in steel-toe shoes and, you know, operating a a subset of, of the operation to metrics. And I got very gritty, hands-on, working with people uh, in order to get packages out of the door. And I learned a lot about leadership. I had people two times my age, uh, women, men, old, young, um, that reported to me. And I started to understand the concept of servant leadership, right? This concept of of just getting down into the weeds in order to get things done and motivating people. Um, My opportunity to work for IBM came after that. Uh, that uh, two years or so. And at that point, the trend, what led me to transition was, you know, for the matrix fans out there, they would love this, the idea that you can train in any kind of skill and that it could lead you to breaking out of some sort of box, right. Or decoding whatever is confusing you or keeping you trapped. And so I've become a collector of skills. So starting off with finance and, you know, everything you learn there, valuation and uh, understanding how to read financial statements and and how to take a company public, right? Mm Because I did a little bit of that in a summer internship with Citi, um, you know, while I was in graduate school, actually, this summer Mm -hmm. between my two years. And so I left finance and I went to ops and I learned about process improvements and I learned about leading people, people management and all of those things. And, you know, then I decided I wanted to add on to that and learn about sales. Uh, And IBM afforded me an incredible opportunity to go to their uh, global sales school, six months of training. And then I was fortunate to be placed on the SAP team. So that's where I am now. 
Ah, congrats, congrats. Uh, that's an amazing story. You went through a, a lot of uh, different functions that, uh, that appear in the company. <laughs> you went yeah. from the finance to operations to, uh, to, to sales. And you, you, you said two, two things that are very interesting. Maybe you could dive a little bit deeper on that. Is, uh, you talk about servant leadership. So what, what does that represent for you? And also uh, you um, define yourself as a, for partially, as a collector of skills. So I, I really wanted you to go, go a little bit deeper on those two things that you, uh, that you mentioned. I think the audience can get a lot of, out of uh, what you would say. Okay, so I'll, I'll start with servant leadership. Um, I will say, and it, it, it's also an important topic, I think, in this day and age where there, there could be a different view of what leadership is and what really moves people. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, I, I've, I've spent a lot of time thinking about who I am. Um, and I would encourage, encourage anyone listening to, to take that time, that quiet time to reflect on who you are, what motivates you, what unique gifts and talents you have to offer, and then think about how you can add value into the lives of others, right? Yes. So this, this concept of servant leadership for me is this egoless um, ability to just be and to serve and to understand that we're all connected. Um, and I think that there is a need to see more of it in, in a lot of the corporations that we work in today. Um, I do believe that there's going to be a higher demand for that kind of leadership and behavior, um, especially looking at the generational dynamics, right? Millennials are, are not um, sticking around in, in different spaces if they don't feel supported, if they don't feel that other, that leaders are uh, willing or able to, get into the weeds with them, right? Um, and, 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 and respect. I think servant leadership is also respecting that the people that you lead have a point of view. Um, I think servant leadership is, is understanding that a good idea can come from anywhere uh, and that titles don't necessarily um, you know, uh, mean that all the answers lie with one person. Yeah, I, I totally, I totally agree. Um, partially, there is a, yeah, a cultural, cultural and or generational uh, gap between uh, what a leader was, which was a focus on experience, seniority, and title, and uh, and today is really about the human, the human itself. Uh, the, the leader is not necessarily like the how can I say that the most talented uh, team members. But he's a real, he's a real team member. He or she is a real team, team member. Gets people to uh, agree to to a vision and to uh, and to start taking action. And everybody feels part of the team. Everybody feels respected. And uh, as you said, millennials are uh, pretty fickle. <laughs> and, uh, but that's not something necessarily negative. But they uh, one thing that will get them to move is is for sure if they feel uh, not respected or if they just feel that they are used, and then they they, they just decide to just decide to go to go somewhere else. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And and that and I want to make sure that I speak a little bit about the other point you talked about, collector of skills. Mm-hmm. Uh, and for me, that simply means um, that, that I'm always investing in myself, right? Mm -hmm. It took a while to get there. Uh, but 
in our in the space that we work in, you know, Diogene, you know, in, in the SAP space, there's always some new technology, there's a new approach, um, and your skills can become very stagnant very quickly. Uh, and then you won't be involved in, in projects because there's someone else with the very skill that that client needs. Yes. Right. So so the two concepts for me are completely tied to one another. Um, you know, this idea of being a servant leader for me is the willingness to ask the question of the client. What do you need? Mm-hmm. Right. And then figuring out whether you are the right person to upskill and learn those skills to serve them or if there's the right person that you can help identify to serve the client. Right. So it's a for me, it, it it's represented representative of a growth growth mindset right the ability to understand that where you are today is not necessarily where where you have to be tomorrow to have a goal of where you want to go and to continuously improve yourself um, in order to be of service to be it your client your family um, anyone around you yes i i totally agree keeping that growth mindset will uh uh Will will you need to improve? Basically, uh, you need to keep improving because uh, if you stop doing that, it's not even uh, only a question of uh, uh, staying ahead of the curve. It's also uh, you as a person. You as a person, uh, it's like a flower. If you don't uh, keep watering it, you it will die. So uh, it's so it is so important. Uh, I uh, I totally agree. And um, what are the so now you started to do sales. So what, what what type of challenges uh, do you do you see now? Because you 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 were a, uh, a leader of people while working in in an operations um, in an operational management uh, role uh, with the with the supply chain company, and now, as far as I understand, you do uh, business development with the same types of uh, of clients, right? Clients that are in the distribution sector. So uh, how does that? Um, how does that go? I mean, what type of challenges do you see uh, as, a, as a business developer? So it, it's interesting how all these different skills are starting to serve me in this mm-hmm. role and to serve my team and, and each person on, uh, in the SAP practice within IBM. I think we're all aware that we need all these different components in order to properly serve a client, right? And so in order for an IT organization to get clearance uh, from the CFO or the financial part of the business to move forward with a multi-million dollar SAP uh, implementation, right? They need to be convinced of the numbers. They need to be convinced of the business case and the value that this technology is going to bring. Um, in order for the implementation to be successful and for there to be a realization of those benefits that are stated in the business case, there needs to be a strong change management effort, right? And that's, so that's something that um, a new, that's an area that I, I think a lot of um, clients, you know, when they see a proposal, they may want to, to say, oh, I don't, you know, change management, who needs that? That is the most important Exactly. Um, a new um, offering that you can that you can add or part of the solution, um, because human beings have to change, right? And you need to, like you're saying, like we were talking about before. That's what I learned in my world as an in operations is that you have to help people understand the vision. You have to help people have a role in the the you know in the vision, right? Mm-hmm. 
and, and you need to provide training for those new skills that they're going to need or that new world. You know, when you're moving to Esfahana, for example, you have to, you know, you need to know how to use these Fiori dashboards. You need, you need these uh, clients to put input into, you know, what is, is a, what mean, what success means at the end of the day and design the solution so that we can all get to that end point together. Um, so, so for me, it's, it's really all of these skills coming together and it's this concept of partnership too, right? Mm -hmm. It has to be where, uh, what I've learned is that the best, most successful implementations, uh, can occur when, you know, the, the client is on board and IBM is there and there are, there's a partnership, uh, where there's an exchange of ideas and both parties are fully committed, uh, to get to that end result. So, so I would say the challenges occur when uh, maybe the the client hasn't been fully educated on the solution, right? Mm-hmm. And so it's on us as, you know, salespersons or uh, business development executives or account executives to go in there and um, first listen. <laughs> <laughs> True. Right. True. First, listen, understand what the client really needs. And then from a position of understanding on our part, offer something that will actually meet their need. So I think the challenges occur when any of those things are kind of off base. And uh, sometimes sometimes clients want to go for the cheaper option. Mm -hmm. I have an uncle who used to say cheap is very expensive. Um, (laughs) And, and he is absolutely right. If you want, you know, to transform your business to a world-class organization, you, you need to know where to put your dollars um, and, and not count the dollar itself, but look at what the ROI is going to be. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And uh, you, you mentioned something very important that to me can be a, a whole episode in itself is change management. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't think it's limited to uh, th- that issue is not limited to SAP or to a big project, but uh, very often in ERP projects, the, the the company that is benefiting of that of that service, um, it's not necessarily the company that benefits. It's all, it can also be the implementation partner. The the change management part is overlooked, or it's like uh, a few slides at the end, <laughs> at the end of the project. Uh, you do quick, uh, you provide quick training, uh, two to two to three days, and then you you have. Uh, a big, a big uh, amount of users uh, that are not familiar with it, that don't know why uh, there is more uh, rigidity, why the enterprise structure has changed. So now to move inventory, you you need to do uh, I don't know, you need to go do a bit more steps, or you have more validations that happen. They they don't even know why, and and then uh, there is no adoption, and mm. and at the end you're in a crisis mode for. Um, months or years and and that's how uh, uh, unfortunately an, an implementation could uh, could fail yes yeah. that's uh, yeah that's that, that, that's a big uh, that's a big issue and and maybe when uh, one question is not necessarily from you your experience but more uh, from, from industry in general uh, when we talk about um, doing business development for a SAP project uh, what is the average sales cycle the average duration and i know it can vary a lot but <laughs> yes. yes it can it can vary it, it it's it's sort of tied to that point of is the leadership ready to make the decision right because mm-hmm. i've seen 
leaders who are fully on board. They send their teams out to get the education and they put together the RFP and they're ready to go. They shoot mm -hmm. it off to SIs, you know, IBM included, and, um, you know, they're, they're ready to go, right, to mm -hmm. evaluate who has the best solution for them, who's going to be the best partner and move forward, right? And as you know, a lot of these projects, they could be, you know, 22 months, you know, they can be yes. a couple of years. It, and, you know, the, the, the stronger your team is, the clearer they are, um, the, 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 the easier that they can get at um, evaluating the right project team for them, uh, then, the, you know, the greater the chances of their success. Um, so, so the sales cycle, though, I think um, you always have your early adopters, you know, mm -hmm. the, the whole curve with technology. So mm -hmm. what I was sharing a little bit there is sort of how it feels when an early adopter knocks on our door at IBM or when we speak with an early adopter. But for a lot of other clients, the sales cycle can be very long, you know, two years, three years. Yes. Um, and it really, that's where that servant leadership spirit has to come in. That's how I think think about sales. It's not about um, can I come in and get this quick win and get them to buy something that they don't need. No, it's am I willing to to be a sounding board of this client sometimes a year or two years um, and and listen to them even if they have another need that's more immediate. I see my role at that point as connecting them with the right IBMer um, in that particular area. They may want to do. Um, you, they may want to look into Watson and, and other mm -hmm. AI solutions. Mm -hmm. They may want to look at blockchain. They mm -hmm. may want to look at, you know, greater security because they're concerned, you know, about um, hackers getting, you know, a hold of their client information, right? So my job is not to go in there and force, you know, an SAP solution. It's to listen. You know, I, you know, if I've done my research well, I know that they're already on ECC6 or 4.6. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, I know that they need to move to S4. Um, and my job is really to be there and, and listen and help them resolve some of the more pressing issues uh, and, and, and hope that they will, that I will build that tr trust enough with them that when they're ready to move to S4 HANA, that they will make the call to us. Oh, that's great. And uh, you, you put the... Um... You put in evidence something that is very, uh, very important. I think for all the consultants that are uh, that are listening, is um, you you just talk you just spoke about the importance of listening and actually helping the client. And if it means that um, the the client is not uh, ready or willing to uh, to buy your service, you have another IBMer or another service at IBM that could help them. So you keep. What you the first thing that you do is that you help your client. You don't try to sell your stuff. You first, anyway, help your client. So you're always in a in a um, uh, you always make sure that the client is in a better state after they have uh, after they have met you. Yes. And uh, and I think for uh, keeping long term relationships, I think that that is the that is the best, and that's a very important lesson for uh, for all consultants, whether um, we are big or small. I think this this is the first thing that we need to do with uh, companies leave them better than we found them <laughs> even if it means they will not uh, necessarily uh, purchase our services but still we keep that good relationship by uh, by by doing that um and and maybe one last thing and and uh, where i am a bit on the technical uh, side of things is from uh, 
migrating from uh, from uh, ECC to uh, to S4, do you sometimes uh, meet uh, challenges with the organization telling you, okay, I'm not sure if I would stay with SAP. Maybe I will try something else, even though I don't know uh, which other product can uh, <laughs> can provide that scope of uh, of solution. But um, do you sometimes meet uh, organizations uh, telling you that? Yeah, we, yeah, we definitely happens. do. And it and I, I think um it it in many ways I think is linked to the point that, that you were just expressing, right? Um was the company left better than that salesperson found it, right? Mm-hmm. Um did that solution that was sold meet the client's need and did they feel that they had a partner in case they ran into a problem down the line, mm-hmm. right? Oftentimes when you see issues like that, it could be, you know, they've received some sort of poor service or, um, you know, in the past. And, you know, that happens sometimes. Sometimes, you know, we at IBM, we we needed to do better. Um, Sometimes, you know, one of our competitors implemented something and and it it hasn't worked out too well for the client. Mm -hmm. But, But I think what's most important is that when we show up, right, we we're we're willing to sit there and understand the challenges and ask okay well why was that where did things go wrong how can we make this better for the client um and from that position help them envision a better future mm-hmm. oh, that's great so now now to go back on on you yourself <laughs> uh Besides uh, what you do with uh, with IBM right now, you're also a coach uh, inside IBM, but also outside of uh, of the company. Uh, you have uh, an organization called New Roots Living. There is a website called uh, newrootsliving.com. Uh, could you explain to us what you uh, what you do, which which type of demographic you you serve, and uh, yeah, what are your what is your objective behind uh, behind it? So it's, um, you know, when you stumble upon that thing that you were born to do, mm-hmm, <laughs> it's, yes. the, it's the, uh, I found my purpose in coaching and listening to people and creating a safe space for them to become undone and to rebuild themselves in mm-hmm. a confidential, um, conversation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and sometimes this is in 30 minutes and it can be life changing. And sometimes, and sometimes it's an hour, um, mm-hmm. over the course of a year. Right. So, mm-hmm. um, it's, it's that thing that is my passion. Um, so when I got to IBM and I found out that they had a huge community of coaches, um, we call it um, the the IBM community of coaches. Then there's the Blue Core Coach certification, um, and then there are IBM supervisors. Mm-hmm. I I was so overjoyed because <laughs> I thought that I had to keep this skill of mine outside of work, but I actually have the ability to bring my entire self to work um, mm-hmm. every single day. So within IBM, I coach executives um, that are sellers throughout the business, no matter what they are selling. So mm-hmm. I essentially coach entrepreneurs, right? Because you know that sellers have to do territory planning and they have to um, know what they're going to do on every given day, how many calls they're going to make. They have to have impeccable follow-up with their clients. And that way of being, that, that, that way of showing up to clients ready to present, present 
uh, clear on what you're presenting. It takes work, right? And it takes, it's, it's a responsibility and there's an auto- autonomy that that person needs within themselves. Yeah. And that's not always natural for a lot of people. So within IBM, I, I spend a lot of time coaching individuals to help them grow into that, that salesperson that is confident, um, mm-hmm. that has sharpened their skills so that when they show up to the client, they can actually deliver. Um, and I also help as a IBM supervisor. I'm, I'm one of um, currently 70 supervisors that is helping to certify uh, and grow the 3,000 existing coaches that service, you know, 350 to 400 IBMers uh, wow. around the world. Uh, wow. And so it's, it's a great privilege to be a part of, um, you know, the Blue Core coaching program. Mm-hmm. Um, outside of work, and, and it was New Roots Living, I, I founded it in, in 2006, um, you know, just as parents, you know, may coach their kids' little league on the weekend or what mm-hmm. have you. Uh, well, my sport is business and economics, so I coach entrepreneurs on the weekend. And um, my my focus area is really um, I coach I coach mostly women who are starting businesses for the first time, and a few very lucky men. Um, <laughs> nice. And yeah, it's it, and it's phenomenal. And a lot of my clients are um, women of color, African American women, and mm-hmm. if you've been following. They are the it's the I should say we are um, the largest uh, gr- uh, group of, of entre- uh, fastest growing group of entrepreneurs in, in America. Right. Uh, but without the ecosystem, you know, system of support, without the, the capital to grow business, you know, the, our, our businesses. And yeah. so I spend a lot of time connecting a lot of them, giving them the tools, helping them. Uh, with business ideation, writing their business plans, doing their financial projections, um, and registering their businesses, right? Um, And so, you know, the beauty of that is the more individuals that I coach and help and and understand their business models, it makes Mm -hmm. me a better business development executive at IBM. It makes me a better coach at IBM. And it's like this you know, this site, it's a gift that keeps on giving. The more yes. people you help, <laughs> the more you help yourself. Yeah, indeed, indeed, indeed. Yeah, it's both um, both of both your activities of the week and the weekends do help uh, do do help each other. Yeah. So that, that's perfect. And you must be a master at time management. I'm thinking <laughs> with all those activities uh, because it's uh, definitely uh, definitely not easy. Um, what what about um, uh, you, you know, you you grew up. No, you did not grow up in Liberia. You left uh, pretty pretty early. But uh, uh, what about abroad? Uh, is there? Do you have a long term? Do you have a vision of uh, uh, going back abroad or going uh, back to Liberia or Africa and do the same? Like th- that servant, being that servant leadership person uh, yeah. for others. Great, great question. Yes, um, I do, and and I had that desire. Very early on, um, I remember when I first joined the the World Bank. I was in D.C. for them, and there was an they wanted me to go abroad and manage a portfolio of investments and to help them grow do more business development and grow the portfolio. Mm-hmm. Um, and my options at the time were Dakar um, in Senegal, um, Johannesburg, South Africa, or Port 
Port of Spain in Trinidad and Tobago. And of course, I said, I'm going to Africa. And I had this long conversation with my mom. I said, finally, I get to go to Africa and do mm-hmm. business development and serve um, people on the continent. And as, as luck would have it, the only opportunity that was ready to hire me right away was the one in, in Trinidad. So I did live in the Caribbean for almost three years. Um, I managed a portfolio there. I grew um, with a, a senior banker uh, by the name of Jamie Smiles. He was really phenomenal to work with. And we went out there and we found some great opportunities for private companies, private financial institutions throughout the Caribbean um, to get loans um, to raise equity, et cetera, with the World Bank. Um, so I say all that to say, I tried to get to Africa once then. <laughs> and it didn't work. I think that there were still more skills and, and tools for me to collect. Um, and now, you know, I'm getting to a place where I'm feeling more confident as a professional. Um, I've even helped contribute as a, as a political analyst or a policy analyst on, on, some polit- on some presidential campaigns uh, for Liberians. And I'm starting to really learn um, how to be a value in a mm-hmm. servant leadership way, right? Mm-hmm. Or, you know, uh, and eventually I will get there. And when I get there, it will be the right time uh, and I will be ready uh, and I will be even more connected than I am now because that's something that I'm very intentional about I'm always trying to, you know, just like you, Diogene, I'm always trying to listen to people's stories. Mm-hmm. I'm always trying to, you know, understand what's the good work that they're doing in their in their areas, um, in their countries. And, you know, there will come a time. I have to go back home one day. Ah, that's perfect. <laughs> that's great. Uh, this was a really an amazing, uh, an amazing interview. I think you provided a lot of value for, uh, for the audience, uh, Denise. Uh, I just have one final question for you. Is um, given that we are on the consulting lifestyle podcast, I would like to know what is having a consulting lifestyle for you. Wow, having a consulting lifestyle for me is constantly having a mirror up to my face. Wow. Okay. Right, um, because to be a consultant, that means that you're abreast of changes, you're abreast of new ways of doing things, you're always open to learning, um, and you're always open to evolving and improving yourself. I totally agree. So having a constant mirror up your face, that's so good. Um, also, how, how, can, uh, how can people find you? Um, how can people get in touch with you, um, uh, Denise, because you have different handles <laughs> what are your uh, social media social media platform and uh, which uh... yeah so i tried to make it simple i can yeah. be found on any social media platform at denise sarkor mm-hmm. d-e-n-i-s-e-s-a-r-k-o-r um, or at new roots living um, and then simply at newrootsliving.com Perfect. So uh, all those contact details will also be put in the in the show notes. So uh, Denise, thank you for this uh, great great interview. I think it was a great discovery for uh, for everybody, and uh, we hope to uh, see you next time. Thank you, Eugene. Thank you. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Consulting Lifestyle Podcast. Leave a review on iTunes if you have enjoyed the episode, and subscribe to the podcast so that you get notified 
to hear other episodes with your host Diogène Tirandekura. <laughs>